Life gets hard when you get down I'm just trying to figure my shit out What's going on guys? My name is Mark Anthony Joe And this is Coffee with Mark You know, I uh, today is Mother's Day And uh, man, I'm just so, I'm so terrible about um, about holidays in general, uh, but specifically, I am so 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 terrible about um, really just 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 reminding my mom that I actually love her <laughs> and that I think about her and I care about her on a daily basis. I I, I really am. Um, I did I did give her a call. Her birthday was yesterday. Mother's Day is today, um, and I completely forgot to call her on her birthday. Even though my my brother Matt he literally sent me a text yesterday morning saying, "Bro, it's Mom's birthday today." So I'm like, "Okay, cool." You know, he tried to like give me a reminder, call Mom, tell her Happy Birthday, um, and and sure enough, I didn't. I ended up sending her a text message at like midnight. You know, hey, mom, I know today was your birthday. I meant to call you. I forgot. I'll call you tomorrow, whatever. But anyway, I, I called her. And, um, you know, the thing is, as before I called her, I was thinking about just Mother's Day. And, 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 I, and generally speaking, I'm really not a big fan of holidays at all. Like even even and I would say especially holidays like Valentine's Day, like Mother's Day, like Father's Day. I feel like those 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 are. I'm sure they're, they're days of acknowledgement of those people, uh, of certain people who, who maybe deserve the recognition, the, the act of uh, the show of appreciation. Um, but but it, I struggle with them because in general, I think those people, if they deserve recognition or appreciation on Mother's Day or on Father's Day or on Valentine's Day or whatever day it is, well, then in my brain, they deserve that same recognition and appreciation every day, you know, and I, and I just, I really don't like um, deviating from, you know, who I am on a daily basis, um, just because there's some social pressure to do so. Um, I feel like I show love and appreciation in, in my own way. Um, and I, and I try to do it constantly, you know, my, my mother and my father, are some of my you know primary motivators in in life you know to show up and and be be a be a man that they could be proud of um you know growing up my my parents they um first of all the people who raised me they're they're not even my biological parents you know matt matt and i both uh we were raised by foster parents because you know our childhood just was fucking crazy and um you know, and it, and, it, and it put us in that situation, but it was the best thing. I mean, a lot of people have had negative experiences with the foster care system, but Matt and I actually got incredibly lucky. I would say that we we hit the foster system lot, uh, jackpot. You know, we, we really did because our foster parents, and, and to be clear, I mean, these are the people, when I say mom and dad, that's who I'm talking about, you know, so the, I'll, I'll refer to them as my foster parents here, but for all intents and purposes, they're my parents. And you know, they were just the best people. Um, my dad is, is truly like, you know, my image of, of, of what it means to be, you know, a good man. Um, he is just the best dude I've ever met ever. ever. And, 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 you know, I, I can't think of um, a, a single, a single thing about him that I would, that I would change if I could. And then my mom, man, me and my mom, we used to butt heads so much. I mean, I was, I was just, I mean, you got to imagine when, when my foster parents got me, um, I was a broken, broken human being, you know, like I was a broken child. Um, the, you know, the first 10, 11 years of my life were, I mean, they're just something that, that, that a kid should never have to go through, you know, I mean, just thing after thing, after thing, after thing. And then, you know, one, one thing in particular, um, well, there's a couple things, you know, one is, um, you know, my mom used to try to like manipulate the rules of, um, the, uh, government assistance, if you will. And, and, and because of that, I, I, I don't know anything about this, um, because I've never been in a situation where I've asked the government for assistance, but apparently if you have kids that are diagnosed with certain things, you get more assistance or something like that. And, 
And for whatever reason, my mom would go from doctor to doctor to doctor when I was a kid and get me diagnosed with all these different things like ADHD and, you know, or depression and blah, blah, like all these mental things to the point where, you know, I'd be prescribed drugs. And, um, you know, by the time my foster parents got me when I was uh, 11 years old, by the time they got permanent custody of me, I should say, when I was 11 years old. My mom tells me to this day, she said, Marky, when you first came to us, you were like a zombie because your mom had you on so many psych medications that you, you weren't even a normal kid. Like you were literally a zombie, you know, and uh, and and, you know, it turns out I didn't need any of those medications. You know, there was really nothing wrong with me. I was a regular kid. And so, of course, they stopped all the medication immediately. And I, you know, started kind of it brought life back into me. But um you know, without without getting into the whole story, um, you know, I, w- I was for sure a mama's boy, you know, like even though my, my biological mother was, you know, she really she really did. a, You know, she, she didn't do a great job of, of just playing that role in uh, my life. You know, she really didn't. My mom was addicted to drugs and alcohol um, for almost my whole life, um, at least up until that point. We'd been homeless. You know, I'd lived in women's and children's shelters with her. I'd, you know, bounced from state to state, from New York to Florida. Um, You know, I'd been left in, you know, crack houses by myself for hours and hours or days at a time, you know, as a a child with my, you know, with my little sister, with my brother. And um, it was just, it was really, really bad to the point where, you know, if you, if you know anything about, you know, kind of how kids adapt, I, I, uh, I became the caretaker, you know, like my father wasn't around. My biological father was never around. And so I kind of, I, I kind of adopted this mindset as a, as a, literally as an adolescent kid, um, that I was taking, I was the man of the house. You know, I took care of my sister. I took care of my mom. And, um, <clears throat> and so naturally I, I grew really, really attached to my, to my biological mother. And then, um, at some point, you know, I don't know, again, I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly. This is one of the most traumatizing experiences of my childhood, but it helps. It will help you understand my relationship with my, with my mom, my foster mom. So, um, at one point Matt asked our biological mother, she's, you know, he just, we were living in Florida at the time and he just said, Hey, I want to go live with Lauren Dennis. Lauren Dennis is, is, is our foster parents. And my mom just, you know, bless her soul. I mean, resting, you know, my mom is no longer with us anymore, but my mom just like fucking let him go. You know, it was like, okay, cool. You want to go live with Lauren Dennis? Fine, go. And, you know, he's 10 years old at the time. Um, and she does, she sends him up to New York state to live with our foster parents permanently and just kind of like, let him move on. Uh, it was the first time Matt and I had ever been separated in our lives. Um, you know, every, every, time prior to that, even if we would go to stay with our foster parents for a period of time, we would always, anywhere we, we went, we would, we would go together. And, um, and so we got separated. Matt came up to New York and, uh, I stayed in Florida with my mom. I, I wasn't having it at all. You know, uh, there was, there was no way that I was going to voluntarily leave my mom and my little sister behind. Um, so Matt goes, and then, you know, not a few months later, um, my mom tells me, Hey, we're going to go visit Matt. You know, we're going to go out on vacation. So I'm like, okay, cool. You know, let's do it. I hadn't seen Matt in a while, you know, the longest time we'd ever been separated. So my mom, you know, buys a plane tickets, whatever we get on the plane, we fly up to New York from Florida and we land. And, and when, when we got there, um, you know, <clears throat> we were driving, you know, away from the airport, and we had a stop to make, and I didn't know where we were going. I was just so excited that we were going to, you know, go visit Matt and see Lauren Dennis, and um, and I even have a couple foster siblings, so my, my big brother Travis, who you guys heard about before, he's the one that, that passed away, and uh, my little brother Brett, you know, who you, I don't talk about much, but I love him too, um, so I was excited, and um, and so we're driving, we're driving, we're driving, we pull into this building, this big you know, brick, I don't even know, brick or stone building in the middle of this small city that's outside of where Lauren Dennis used to live. 
And, uh, and so we, we get out, I don't know where we're at, but you know, whatever, I'm just anxious. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Matt. We get out, we go into this building and, uh, my mom leaves me on, um, this bench and she's like, Hey, just sit here. You know, I'll be right back. I just got to, you know, take care of something. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I trust my mom blindly, you know? So I, I sit down on this bench and, um, and the next thing I remember is like, you know, my my mom never came back out. She never came back out. She left me there. Um, you know, actually, Laura and Dennis came back out. And uh, and turns out the building that we were in was the family courthouse. And, um, you know, the court had decided that uh, it wasn't it wasn't healthy for Matt and I to be separated, you know, that wherever we were, we should be together. And so they were deciding this day. I didn't know any of this at the time, but this day was actually an appointment where they were going to decide once and for all who was going to get permanent custody of Matt and I and where was a better home. What was a, a what which home was more fit for us to live in? And that day they decided that it was better that Matt and I be placed permanently with our foster parents and. um and so my mom left me on that park bench and said, "Hey, I'll be right, you know, I'll be back. Don't move." And uh and she just never came back. She never came back. I um Lauren Dennis came out and they're like, "Hey, you're going to you're going to go home with us. We're going to go see Matt." And uh and I didn't want to fucking go. You know, like I was like, "No, no, where is my mom? No, where is where is my mom? You know, no, I'm not going anywhere." And they had to they had to carry me kicking and screaming um, into my foster parents' car and put me in the back seat. And, you know, like I, I, I vividly remember this day and he drove me to Lauren Dennis's house. And, and mind you guys, even at the time, at this time in my life, like I already loved and had a lot of, you know, I've already loved Lauren Dennis. We already had a relationship. They were my, they had been my foster parents since Matt and I were babies but it was just the way that it happened and my attachment to my mother that I just, I wouldn't let go. And um, it was a terrible, terrible experience. You know, um, just imagine being 11 years old, being a mama's boy, you know, having that, um, you know, that attachment. And then also, you know, just mentally feeling like a caretaker, feeling like, man, you know, I, I have an obligation to my mom to, to watch out for her. And, um, and then just, you know, being given away like that. Um, and so, so because of my previous attachment to and relationship with my, my biological mother, you guys can imagine that after that day, you know, Laura and I had a really, really, really rocky relationship. And it was because um, I, just, I just didn't want to accept her, you know, like I felt like accepting my foster mother as my new mother um, figure was almost like betraying my my biological mother, you know, and so I just I just wouldn't do it no matter what I wouldn't let her in. And then not only that, but there's a there's a part of me and it took me guys, it took me probably till I was 20. It took me a long time till I was probably 23, 24 years old to really do the work like the the introspection, the actual digging through emotions and allowing myself to feel them and, and journaling and, and exploring some of these things to really discover what um, another, another really, um, another um, just effect that that day had on me. But so, so not only would I not accept Laura, you know, as a new mother figure, um, and I, and I constantly, you know, both physically and emotionally just, just really put my guard up and, and pushed her away, um, no matter how much she loved me. I mean, guys, like she, I'm telling you that my mom is like the best. I mean, the best. Like we, I never went without. I mean, she just, she loves us to death. And she was a good mom. She taught us manners. She taught us everything that my biological mom never taught us. Like without, without this woman, right, without Laura, my, 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 my foster mother, um, I'm telling you guys, like, I, I mean, I made some bad decisions, but, <laughs> but it's nothing compared to who I would have been had this woman not been in my life. Right. And so, I mean, I owe her everything. I owe everything to her, but I, I wouldn't accept her. I wouldn't let her in. And, and I think that not only was it, a, um, some sort of loyalty to my biological mother, um, 
But it was also like that experience of my biological mother just leaving me on that bench and, 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 and never coming back, how I interpreted that as an 11-year-old kid is that my mother literally just gave me away. You know, like this woman who I loved more than anybody in the world, the only person that had been there every you know day of my life, the, the, the person I had the deepest loyalty to, this person literally just gave me away and um and abandoned me and 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 so i i feel like no i know for sure that deep down from that day forward no matter no matter what anybody told me no matter no matter what you did for me um i was certain that like i didn't deserve to be loved you know like i I refused to let anybody into my life emotionally, um, and I refused to, to open up my heart to anybody and to accept that anybody would ever love me again, including my foster parents, specifically my, my foster parents. These people didn't love me no matter what they told me. You know, it was all fake. It was all a lie. And it was because of that experience that my biological mother was a part of. You know, I thought to myself, man, if my, if my own mother doesn't even want me, you know, like I, how worthless do you have to be for your own mother to give you away, you know, and, and, and to this day, I mean, if you know me personally, then, you know, I, I still, I still struggle with this to this day. I don't let people into my life to this day. I struggle with commitment and I struggle with, um, you know, abandonment issues. I don't, I don't trust anybody with my heart because, um, because I, I probably I, I haven't fully worked through it. But so for the years following that um, incident, you know, like I, I always had a cordial relationship with my foster father. But like my my foster mother, like I said, she was amazing. But like, man, we would fight like cats and dogs. I mean, it was it was just so rough because I, I refused to let this woman near me, you know, like I, I really didn't. And looking back, I just it makes me admire her so much more because like, I, I know that first of all, I know that just being a mother, um, is, it, I, I can't imagine. I mean, obviously I don't have the experience, but I can't imagine that there is a more difficult role or responsibility that's for somebody to fulfill. Like I, I really, I really can. And this is if you have your own kid, right? Your own biological kid, that's your kid. And, and that they're a normal kid. Like they, like, yeah, they have their own ups and downs, but like, okay, a normal kid. My, my mother, Laura took in these incredibly damaged, uh, psychologically, emotionally, and physically, you know, damaged children that were not even hers. And then looking at how bad I treated her, um, over the years, it's just, it, 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 it's crazy, you know, it's crazy, and, and I remember, um, and, and she was just so persistent, like, she was so persistent, like, no matter how much I pushed her away, she was so persistent in, in, in loving me, you know, she was just, it was like her mission was just to love me until I, until I accepted it, whether I liked it or not, and it just, it, no matter what, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. I was just so, I was so broken. Um, and I remember the day when I actually looked at her, um, when I first saw her in the light that I see her now. I remember the day and it was, um, it was when I was in prison. I, um, I'm pretty sure it was the first time they visited me. Okay. Um, and, and it wasn't immediately like I had been in prison for a while before my parents come to visit me because we were, we didn't speak for a long time. Um, you know, I was going through a lot, man. I really was. I was so, I, even at that time in my life, I was really, really, really messed up. You know, I was in a, <clears throat> I was in just a semi suicidal self-sabotaging you know, mode in my life where I just didn't care about anybody, including myself. I didn't, you know, I was taking my own life for granted and I just, I didn't want anything to do with any of the people that I had, that, that had formerly been a part of my life. 
But I, um, you know, so I put my mother and my parents both through a lot as an adolescent, as a teenager, like in school, just, um, and it was, it was a lot even before, um, you know, all the legal troubles came about. But then, you know, I got arrested and then I got arrested again and then I went on the run and then I ended up in prison and it was just a spiral. And probably a year later, you know, my parents come to visit me. And man, as you can imagine, I mean, it's just, you know, I was ashamed of myself at this point um, to even look them in the face because they they really did. They tried so hard to just um, be a be positive influences and role models on us. They, they, they'd never, you know, I mean, my parents are just the kind of people that, I mean, I, my mom, I mean, they never smoked weed. They like, they don't, they don't break rules. They don't break the law. They were just good old fashioned, you know, small town people. And, uh, and here I am, you know, tarnishing their name, their reputation. I mean, that there, there was things where, I mean, they, they moved away from, the town that Matt and I went to high school in just because like there was just, they couldn't go anywhere. Matt and I were so well known and then everything happened with him and I, they couldn't go anywhere without people looking at them like, oh, there's the, you know, the Joe brothers parents right there. You know, it's just like knowing that I had put them in that position and that I had put them through so much, not only that, but then just worrying about us. Like when I went on the run, I didn't even tell my parents where I was. They thought I was dead for several months. You know, or they were worried that I was dead for several months. I don't know if they thought that I was, but they were worried that that was a possibility. I just literally disappeared off the face of the earth, you know. And so after all I put them through um, to, to see them that day, I was so, you know, walking, you know, down there to, the, to, to see them. I was really embarrassed. You know, I was ashamed um, and I didn't know what to expect. And so I sat down across the table from them. You know, that's kind of how, um, pr- you know, prison visits look. And, you know, I walked up and, and we just had a normal conversation. Like they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything about anything. They didn't say anything about me being on the run. They didn't say anything about, you know, the things I had done or the, you know, me, me getting caught with a whole bunch of drugs, even though, you know, a few years prior, my, my brother literally passed away of a drug overdose. You know, they, they didn't. They didn't say anything about any of it. We just had a conversation as if, you know, as if, as if nothing had happened, you know, and, uh, and I, I remember, you know, them when, when it was time for them to leave they're give me a hug, give me a kiss. You know, they love me. I walked out. It turns out they had brought me, um, in, in New York state, your, your family can bring you in like a certain amount of like food items and personal items like you know soap and deodorant and stuff like that and and they'd brought me literally as much as you're allowed they they maxed out the the you know the contribution um so i'm collecting this stuff and bringing it back to my housing unit and and i got back and that night i just i was so fucked up you know like mentally i was just fucked up because all i could think about is i it dawned on me that day that, and, and, and honestly, for the first time in my life, you know, it occurred to me that, like, that's what unconditional love looked like. You know, that, that was it. Like, I, I, I couldn't get it out of my head that, man, after all that I put these people through, after all I'd done, after all the pain and the anxiety and the worry and the stress and the and the just the the fights and the everything after all that I'd put them through these people showed up here today um and 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 it was like nothing it was none of it mattered none of it mattered the only thing that mattered um was was the opportunity they had to see me and to see my face and to give me a hug and 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 know that I was all right like that was it and it and it just I remember staying up that night in my um in my cell journaling and I just bawled like I just bawled I cried so hard I cried like I'd never cried before because you know it was the first time ever it was the first time that I again that I saw them through uh, you know in the light that I see them now it was the first time that I accepted that 
that they loved me, you know, that they loved me unconditionally. They loved me like I was their own child. And uh, in all those years, I had I had pushed them away. You know, I I just rejected them. And um, <clears throat> and that day I, I didn't, you know, and it, and it just it, it just overwhelmed me. I fucking cried like a baby. And uh, and now, I mean, I can, you know, as you guys can imagine, I have nothing but, you know, praises for them because I mean, I was not an I know no child is easy to raise, but but Matt and I were not easy to raise. And uh, and they didn't just do it because they had to. They didn't do it because they, we were the babies that came out of her. They volunteered, you know, to do it. And so I guess I shared all that with you guys today um, because it's Mother's Day and because my mom deserves it, you know. But uh, for any of you guys out there that are mothers and, you know, just know, man, your kids, your kids love you. They appreciate you. And they might not realize it yet, but someday, someday they will. And um, you just keep showing up. Like, that's it. Just keep showing up. I feel for you guys. That's it. That's all I could say. I feel for you. Oh, man. But you know what? Okay. To be honest, that wasn't even... <laughs> I'm just sitting here getting emotional thinking about my parents. But, you know, that that wasn't even what I, I came on here to um, to talk about today. I, I actually... Um, I, I did a question box on... Uh, on my on my Instagram story earlier this morning, and uh, and I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to ask me some some questions that maybe I don't typically or yeah that I don't typically answer on social media, or um, you know ask me some questions that might just require a more thorough um, response. Um, so <clears throat> I decided to answer them here on the podcast instead of on my Instagram story simply because I, you know, I just, I want to be able to elaborate and it's really difficult to do it there. Um, so let's see, I'm just going to kind of rifle through, um, a few of these. All right. So one is what's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far? This was a question that my friend Jordan asked and, um, you know, I have touched on this before in several episodes, whether it be with Matt and I, whether it was by myself, um, but I've never really described it as the biggest le- uh, life lesson that I've learned so far. But I think that um, one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned is, um, or at least the way that I would, um, the way that I would explain it to you guys is stop making distinctions between days. You know, um, what I mean by that specifically is like, we have this, this, this system or this structure of like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of like, you know, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth of January, February, March, April, May. Um, and the, you know, the truth is when you really think about it, like all of that shit is just stuff that we made up. Like we, we literally created the idea of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We, we created the idea of the first, the second, the third. We created January, February, March, April. Like those are things that we literally, they, they're imaginary things, okay? They're imaginary distinctions. Um, something that was a huge, a very, very, one of the most powerful realizations that I ever had is that every day is just a day. Every day is just another opportunity for you to wake up and live and live your life, right? So uh, there is, I don't make any distinctions between days. You know, to me, there is no difference between a Tuesday or a Saturday, between a Thursday and a Sunday. Like every single day is just a day. It's just a day. It's another opportunity that you have. And when I started looking at it like that, um, I feel like I wake up every single day with a sense of urgency uh, with, you know, with, with respect to living, you know, like it, it is, um, you know, I try to t- treat every day. Like I have this mantra, what if today was your only shot? You know, like how would you show up? You know, what if today was your only shot? Um, and I know that I've also elaborated on that and helped you guys apply it in different settings. So for example, like what if, what if, um, you know, what if your end goal from a health and fitness standpoint depended on how you showed up in your workout today, you know, or how you approached your diet today? What if your end goal 
for your relationship, you know, depended on how you showed up for your partner today? Or what, what if your end goal from a financial standpoint or from a career standpoint depended on how you showed up at work today? You know, what if today was your only shot? How would you show up? And then just show up like that. Okay, so that's kind of how I apply it on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I think that in, in a general sense, the, the, the biggest lesson and the, one of the most powerful realizations I've ever had, and, and quite frankly, this came from just being in the box. You know, in the box, when you're in solitary confinement in prison, you, there's just this little fucking tiny window on your cell. Like, I mean, tiny, and it's usually caked with dust and dirt. So, like, you're not getting much natural light in that cell. It, it literally, once you're in there for a certain amount of time, you literally lose track of what day it is, what what time it is during the day, what month it is. You don't even know how long you've been in there. Like, every, it, it, it literally starts to feel like you've been in there for just one big day. Like, there's no distinctions. And it was a it was something that was really interesting for me to think about because then your routine, your every everything just looks the same every day. But if you take that same routine and that same, you know, monotony and you apply it outside voluntarily, you apply it to your day-to-day life, and you really just look at, okay, uh, kind of what I was touching on yesterday in yesterday's episode with with eliminating everything in your life that doesn't actually contribute that doesn't move you forward, that doesn't move you closer to who you want to become or the life you want to create, eliminate all those things and then wake up every single day and approach every day as if it is the only chance you'll get, as if it's the last chance you'll get, as if it's it's the only thing that matters. When you do that, I, I promise you, like this is not normal. It's not normal. Like Most people don't do this. Most people, when Friday rolls around, they treat Friday differently They treat Friday differently. They don't work quite as hard. They're looking forward to doing different things. They deviate from their routine. They prioritize things that are not essential, that don't move them forward, things that actually move them backwards, right? Um, Saturday, same thing. Sunday, same thing. We're going to sit around watching basketball games or watching football games. We're going to, you know, whatever, just waste the day. They're going to waste the day because it's Saturday, Right. And, and, and you, when you stop making distinctions between days, you don't waste any days. And when you when you don't waste any days, you literally your progress in life. And I'm not just talking about career progress or financial progress. I'm talking about progress in your relationship. I'm talking about progress uh, for your mental and spiritual wellness. I'm talking about progress on your fitness journey, progress in every single area of your life. It drastically accelerates. Um, especially relative to the people around you, because the people around you are, are, are taking advantage of the opportunity that they get to live and to move themselves forward in life, maybe four or five days a week, and you're doing it seven days a week. So you're, you're literally, your, your progress is so much faster than yours. And, and then what happens, and this has literally happened to me before, is that one day people, you know, you run into somebody and they see where you're at in life. They see how you're showing up. They see your energy. They see your charisma. They see your, your, your progress that you've made on your fitness journey. They see what car you're driving. They see how well your business is doing, whatever. And they say, man, how did you, how did you make so much progress in life in such a short amount of time? And you know what you're going to say? Same thing that I fucking said. You know, it's, man, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't waste any days. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So that I'm, I'm telling you, that's, it's such a simple concept, but stop making distinctions between days. Every single day is an opportunity for you to move uh, closer uh, to, to either who you want to become, um, the best version of you, or every single day is another opportunity for you to um, get closer to materializing the life that you really want for yourself, all right, in, in, in any sense. So wake up every single day and make sure, and this, is, this doesn't mean that you need to work from sunup to sundown every single day. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying every single day is an opportunity for you to move forward. So make sure that you are moving forward every single day, all right? Don't waste any days. That's the... That's probably the biggest life lesson I've learned. Um, Okay, another question. What was one thing about Grace that first caught your attention? Well, to be honest, uh, it was just that she was really cute. Like, I didn't know who she was. She was new at the office. um, And, uh, I mean, at that point in First Form's growth as a company, because, you know, I was with First Form since... 
you know, we didn't have many employees and specifically we didn't have many female employees. So, I mean, we, we didn't have that many females around the office and we certainly, I mean, I, I just never entertained, um, you know, checking any of them out or anything like that. But then we had this, this new girl here that was super cute. Um, and I, 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 even the first several weeks that she was there, I didn't say a word to her. Like she'll tell this story. Sometimes it, it kind of gets, gets on her nerves, but like, I literally completely ignored her. I didn't, I didn't say anything to her, but I did notice that she was really cute. Um, and then our first interaction that, that we actually did, you know, kind of introduce myself. She did it was just super sassy. Like she was like, she had a, she had like an attitude, but in a good way. Um, and it was just cool, you know? So from, from literally from our first interaction, um, we've, we've kind of just been at each other's throats, which is, in my opinion is, is keeps things interesting. <laughs> um, are you getting more tattoos? Yes, for sure. Um, I, my, my problem right now, actually, my, my struggle with this is that, um, I can't find any really, really good artists that have any availability. So if you know somebody um, that is really good, I'm not talking about like good by your assessment, right? I'm talking objectively good and very well respected in the tattoo space, okay? Because really at this point, I have, I have enough half-assed tattoos, okay? I really do. <laughs> like one of the most common questions that I get from you guys is, hey, can you walk through each one of your tattoos and tell us the story behind it? And I just haven't found the right setting in which to do that, but I would love to do that. I mean, it's okay, I'll do it. But like my, when I say I have enough half-assed tattoos, like guys, I have gotten some tattoos in some really sketchy situations from some really sketchy people. And at this point, like I'm not at that point, I'm, I'm not at the same point in life anymore, okay? So I can afford to get a nice tattoo. I can afford to pay a really good artist and get some really good stuff. Um, and that's really all I'm interested in doing. But yes, I, I am. I actually want to completely fill both arms and then my entire torso, which is pretty much covered right now. It would just need um, some background shading. Um, but if you can imagine, I kind of want to bring it all together so that it looks like one big piece. Um, and all I need is like some shading and stuff like that to just you know, kind of bring it all together. It looked like I have a long sleeve t-shirt, but of, of tattoos. So I'm definitely going to, if you know a great artist that, you know, would be willing to get me in, um, in the next couple months, just let me know. I'll literally travel anywhere in the country, um, that I need to, to get some, some good work done. Um, so yeah, just reach out to me on Instagram if you do. Um, all right, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, how do you tackle self-limiting beliefs? This is a really good question. And I like this a lot. Um, this is another one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned. You know, uh, I, I could also lump this in with, Hey, don't waste any days. But what I did to really, I mean, guys, I have, I have a firm, um, conviction that, if it can be done by anyone, then it could be done by me. You know, like I, I'm not, it's, and, and I promise you, it's not arrogance. It's not ego. I believe, I believe wholeheartedly that if it could be done by anyone, then it can be done by you as well. Like I, I really do. I, I'm a true believer in like nobody's special. Okay. Yes. Some people have, you know, gifts. They really do. They have gifts. They're, they're blessed. Um, in, in one way or another. Some people naturally excel at certain things. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to diminish that, but I, I truly do believe that if it could be done by anyone, then it can be done by you, regardless of whether it comes naturally to you or not. And what actually um, planted that seed in my brain was I went through this period of time where I was reading a lot of biographies, okay? Um, and I would read these biographies of these great individuals. I'm talking like people, who, singular human beings that literally changed the world, like that that changed, that had an impact on the entire fucking planet. Okay, like I can name a few. Uh, one is like, first of all, one of my favorite people, uh, historical figures, is actually Adolf Hitler. Um, another one, um, Steve Jobs. You know, another one, Nelson Mandela, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, right? Like I would read these biographies of these in incredible individuals and reading biographies of these great people. One thing that it did 
uh, for me was that it actually humanized them, right? Like when you when you read, let's say Steve Jobs, like I, I don't think anybody can argue that Steve Jobs literally changed the world, okay, with with Apple. And uh, and let's not leave out Steve Wozniak's. Okay, I know that that was his partner, and you know he, Steve couldn't Steve Jobs could not have done anything without Wozniak. But but let's just agree. Okay, everybody can agree that Apple has literally changed the world. It has changed technology. Um, it's changed the way that we interact with one another. It, it, it's just it's cool. All right. But when you read the, the the biography, which I do recommend, it's by Walter Isaacson. When you read his biography and you read about his childhood and you read about his upbringing, you read about some of the things he struggled with, you read about, you know, just the, just all, all the ups, the downs, the process, the journey, what you realize along the way is, man, this motherfucker is just like me. Like, we, we ain't that different. We're, 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 this, this dude is just like me. Okay, same thing. You know, you read, uh, let's say, Nelson Mandela's. He, he did an autobiography. It's called Long Walk to Freedom. I loved it. Loved it. This motherfucker spent 20 years in prison, then came home and became the president. Okay, but, but when you read the, the story, okay, there, there was nothing that he did that couldn't have been done by anyone. He just had the courage to do it. He just had the courage to do it. Same, same with Steve Jobs. You know, he just had the courage to do it. He had an idea and he had, the, he had the, the courage to chase it. He had the belief, you know, and so when I, it's, I mean, here's the truth. Same with Adolf Hitler. He had an idea and he had the, he had the courage to do it, you know, and so when you read about these, these people, which I encourage you to do, biog reading biographies is, it's productive in, in a multitude of ways. But when you, for me, when I started reading these biographies, I realized that these people were not all that different than I was, you know, they just... They had belief, they had conviction, they had courage. And, um, and so that really, um, it completely, completely destroyed any self-limiting beliefs that existed in me um, and gave me the courage to even though, I mean, just picture me, okay? Guys, I'm, I'm in fucking prison. Like I'm sitting in a prison cell and I had the audacity to come home and and say you know what i'm gonna change the fucking world you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna be the next gandhi i'm gonna be the next steve jobs like i'm gonna i'm gonna change most convicted felons most convicts people coming home from prison they're thinking man i hope i can get a job at walmart you know i hope i can go get a job at mcdonald's or, or, or target or something i'm thinking man i'm gonna start a business i'm gonna change the fucking world and it was it, it, in, that, in my mindset i, I attribute it 100 to having read some of those stories, you know, and realizing, man, there's nothing you can't overcome. There's nothing you can't overcome. Even reading Nelson Mandela specifically, you know, spending 20, 20 plus years in prison and then coming home and becoming the president, you know, out of sheer conviction and a commitment to um, doing the right thing, commitment to his, his you know, uh, just his convictions. Um, you know, that it inspired me a lot. And so that that's probably the greatest thing that I've done to really um, keep self-limiting beliefs at bay is just become intimately familiar with people who have done exceptional things and, and really intentionally look for the things that make those people just everyday human beings. They're just everyday human beings. And when you start to realize that, you realize, man, they're not that different than I am. And then you start to realize, man, maybe I could do some some really in, in exceptional things too. All right, let's see. I'm gonna do one more question from our question box. Um, and let's see. In regards to politics, do you stay with your party uh, or the person slash group that you think will do a better job? Okay, well, this is a good question. Um, and I'm gonna answer it only because you know, this is something that I feel like should be common sense, but it's it's not. And it's really, really, really unfortunate that it's not. But if you have party loyalty, okay, I think that, that you've really, really got to do some, you know, some reflecting. I don't even think you should be allowed to vote. Like, that's the truth. Like, if you just vote for somebody because of their political party affiliation, I don't think that you should be allowed to vote. I think, 
I think that voting, first of all, I should preface this whole thing with the fact that I'm a convicted felon. I'm not even allowed to vote. I don't even have the right to vote. Like, like just, so, I mean, whatever I have to say on this topic is kind of irrelevant, but um, voting is, is, is a big responsibility. And I think that one of the biggest problems that exists within our political system right now is that people, there's two of them. One is that people vote emotionally. They make decisions with emotion, not logic not logical assessment of the individual, of their policies. It doesn't even matter. Like, even if you look at people's campaigns, like, like uh, you know, um, politicians' campaigns these days, they're literally like, they, they look almost like a reality TV show. They don't look like a political campaign, and it's because they're appealing to your emotions. They're trying to just start arguments, debates, on really emotionally centered topics so that you literally put up your guard and you, you, you get all emotionally invested in the conversation. And once you get emotionally invested, you cannot, take, you cannot make a logical decision. So, you know, I mean, that's all I have to say about that. Um, so, so that's one of the biggest problems is that I think that people are voting emotionally uh, rather than logically. And then the other is, um, is yeah, this, this party loyalty. You know, like you, you're, you're, you can't, don't identify, like don't identify as I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or I'm a this or I'm a that because you're, you're literally attaching your identity to it and it makes it 10 times harder for you then to step back and, and, and detach and make a, make a logical decision because now the, being a Republican is part of who you are. You can't ab abandon your identity, you know, God forbid, right? So, so that's really a, a slippery slope to, to be on, right? And so what I would encourage everybody to do is, is really take a, an assessment of, um, you know, the situation, of, of, of the options. And, and, and if we're being completely honest, like I think that the past several elections have just been complete embarrassments, you know, to the United States of America. Like we have several hundred million people in this country and we can't we can't get any we can't get two better uh, more qualified people than these motherfuckers you know like the, the thing that really infuriates me is that we're supposed to be the model democracy for the entire world like our democracy is the model democracy for the entire world and it has it has literally been reduced to a two-party system. Like if I were to ask you to name uh, two other candidates that ran for president in the last presidential election, you probably couldn't even fucking tell me. The only two candidates that you even probably knew existed were Donald Trump and Joe Biden. That's it. You know, like it, it, it most people, and this is this has been a problem for years and years and years. Like, okay, you know, Donald and Hillary or whatever. It, it, most people cannot name another candidate. They only know the Democrat-Republican candidate, and that should, that should highlight a serious issue for you because how, how is this going to be a fair election when there's only two parties actually getting um, mainstream exposure? You know, the, the, None of those independent candidates, people who, who actually probably um, are the most qualified <laughs> And the best picks that you just you wouldn't think to vote for them because you literally don't know who they are. You've never seen one of their speeches. You've never, you know, listened to them in a debate. None, none of that because the media controls um, what you see and who you're exposed to. And then what happens is you get put in this position where you're where you're trying to choose the lesser of two evils because neither one of the fucking options is any good. You know, that's that's how I feel about our current political situation. And, and to answer this person's question, um, no, I, I definitely don't think, and, and if I had the right to vote, I would not be voting via party loyalty. I would be looking, I would really try digging into who is running for this position, who all is running for this position, and then really just uh, do some homework so that I can make a more uh, informed um, decision on it. And I, would, and I would really, I would probably do some reading uh, specifically, because when you see what is put on the news, you got to understand that there's an agenda there. When you see what's, 
you know, uh, publicized, whether it's a video clip or an audio clip, like those clips are chosen specifically to influence your position on, on those people, whether it's, you know, to make you think like them or make you not like them. So I would, you know, look for something that really encompasses their whole position, um, their history, you know, how they voted, what they voted for. Um, and then just try to make as an informed decision as you possibly can. And, and as detached of a decision, emotionally detached, don't, you know, like for example, like with Hillary Clinton, like I know that there are women out there who voted for Hillary literally just because she's a woman. Like to me, that's fucking stupid. Okay. That, that is fucking stupid. Okay. If, if she were the best candidate, if she were the most qualified, if she um, were pushing the most amount of policies that you wholeheartedly agreed with, okay, cool, vote, make, cast your vote. But to vote for somebody simply because she's a woman, you know, to me, that's an emotional decision. And that, that is where we're going wrong as a country right now. Same thing in this previous election, you know, some people maybe voted for Joe Biden just because they hate Trump because of, of his personality or because he's a loud mouth or because he said something that they didn't like once upon a time. But it's like, okay, but what if, even though he's a dipshit, what if he actually uh, is, is pretty competent at running a business or a country, you know, why, you know, so again, uh, I think that the best case, best course of action there with respect to um, voting is, is really just try to make unemotional decisions and really um, unemotional informed decisions. Do your own homework. Uh, so I do have a couple other really, really good questions here, um, but I'll have to get into them another time. I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time, but I do really, really appreciate you guys that are sticking with me, uh, through this journey, um, that I've, I've decided to share here in a, in a new setting. Um, and if, if you enjoy the, the podcast, if, you know, if it resonated with you at all, um, please, you know, share it. I, I don't promote it. I haven't even promoted it much on my own social media because I, I want, I want the growth of it to reflect the value that I'm providing to you guys. So if you thought this was valuable at all, if you liked any of the, the stuff that I had to share today, even just a little part, share it with somebody, share it on social media, you know, tell a friend that, hey, man, maybe you should check Mark's podcast out. He's a pretty interesting guy. Um, but I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you again next time.